Okay, we pick up in Exodus chapter 12 as we've been studying. And uh, it's been a great study here in Exodus. As uh, someone was just making mention here that in verse 12, they were just touched by that where it says, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. And how we've studied the things that have been happening in Egypt and, and uh, God brought judgment upon them. And we come to the 10th plague here in Egypt. First nine plagues we've been studying started in chapter 7. And they've been coming in groups of three. Started with the plagues of turning the Nile River into blood. The frogs, the gnats, and then the next group of three of the flies, the pestilence among the cattle, and the boils on animal and beast. And the last group of three of the hail, the locusts, and finally darkness, a darkness that can be felt. And now the tenth plague that brought a plague of national deliverance for Israel and for Egypt, it was a plague of national disaster. And in some of the previous plagues, both Egypt, as you remember, Egypt and Israel experienced them. And then there were some that came only against Egypt, like in the fifth plague when all the livestock of Egypt died, not one animal of Israel died. This tenth plague is the final one, and it came in a unique way. It, dis, it does come against Egypt and Israel, but unlike the previous plagues, God gave specific instructions to the Israelites about how to avoid the consequences of the plague. And as we look at what happened in Egypt with the plagues and the evil responses that Pharaoh brought upon the Israelites, this is not primarily a story of what God did to bad people who did bad things to his people. More importantly, this last plague is a story of the redemption of Israel. As God's people escaped the wrath of God, and on this night, slavery was going to end. In a moment, as, God, as Pharaoh pushed them out of Egypt, God warned them, get your things ready, because tonight you will be free people. After spending their entire life working as slaves to make Pharaoh successful, tonight you will leave as free men. And this chapter is the point in time when God redeemed a people from slavery and created a new nation out of his chosen people. Let's start with prayer as we open his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the redemption you brought to your people, Israel, there, as you brought them out of slavery. Same way, would you grant us to see the redemption you provide to us through our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that we would rejoice in your kindnesses and graciousness to us, your great love for us, to give us a Savior. Open your word to us and come meet with us now in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 12. The first two verses, I'm going to call those verses, A Nation is Born. And let's read those. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of the month. It shall be the first month of the year for you. The event on this day was so significant that God commanded Israel to change their calendar to begin with the Passover. They were to begin their new year remembering their redemption from slavery and start each new year celebrating their birth as a nation. As the salvation of Israel was accomplished and secured at the Passover, 
If you turn the page to chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. So that's the month, the month of Abib. And this month parallels our month of late March and April. There's six references to the month, and they all refer to the night of leaving Egypt. If you look at Deuteronomy 16, verse 1, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the, in the month Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. So significant was this month and this time for them. We're going to move now to verses 3 through 13. And I'm going to call these verses, The Passover Introduced. Tell all the congregation of Israel... That on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, and it shall pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God is giving brand new instructions for the Israelites with very clear directions. The people of Israel were to be outwardly delivered from the land of Egypt, but they had a need to be, for there to be an inward separation from their lives as slaves in Egypt and return to faithfulness as the Lord. You remember in the previous plague, some of them were announced by Moses but for each of the previous ones, there was no requirement given for the people either to avoid the plague or to participate in the plague. In the previous ones, God was getting the attention both of the Egyptians and the Israelites, as indicated back in chapter 11, verse 3, which says, The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So now for the tenth plague, every life of the Israelites was dependent upon their direct obedience to God's instructions through Moses. And that's how we start out with this. In verse 3, God says, Tell all the congregation of Israel. And this matter of obedience to God has been a struggle and was to continue to be a struggle for the Israelites. Look many years into the future after this. At the end of Joshua's life, when they were, after they arrived in the promised land, 
Look at Joshua's instructions to the Israelites in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. We need to remember and take some time to think that these Israelites have been slaves. They've been there in Egypt 400 years. Slavery is all these people knew. They did not know what it meant to live as free people. Then on a single night, they were delivered from slavery. But it took a generation for them to leave slavery in their hearts and minds. Now pick up some more of what Joshua said in, in, uh, verse 20, in chapter 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He is still reminding them, put away these gods from Egypt. And if it be evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and now the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went and among the peoples whom we passed. Multiple times Israel has been instructed to leave behind these idols of Egypt and serve the Lord. God could have come down to Egypt and immediately brought destruction on the Egyptians and the people of Israel walked out free. But God in his infinite wisdom not only wanted to deliver the Israelites from their power, he wanted to remove Egypt out of their lives and replace Egypt with himself as God as he creates this nation. And these plagues were given in a specific way so that they would be delivered from the idolatry of Egypt and from the lifestyle of being a slave in Egypt. We should also pause here and make a point in the life of Daniel. If you go forward many, many years to the Babylonian captivity, after the Israelites left the Babylonian captivity, after 70 years there, the older Israelites did not leave. They stayed there in Babylonia. And it was mainly the younger people that went back. Ezra chapter 2 tells us that it was 42,360 people that returned from Babylon to Israel. This time, when they leave Egypt, everybody's leaving, young and old. If there had not been a persecution or spectacular deliverance, I suspect some of them may have stayed there in Egypt. God's intention was for everybody to leave Egypt. So the time has come in the lives of these descendants of Abraham Jehovah is going to remove the Israelites, young and old, from Egypt. He's going to remove Egyptian slavery from their lives. He's going to remove Egyptian idolatry from the lives of Israel. Is that what happens? It is not. It is not. God's point was not to remove the Israelites from Egypt. God's point is to redeem them. Redemption is the theme of the Passover. God is not removing them. He's redeeming them. Redeem the Israelites from slavery. 
redeem them as God's chosen people. At the start of this event, God promised to Moses and to Israel that God's goal was redemption and that he would redeem them. Look back at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. God says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery, I will redeem you from an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. King David later said of these events, 2 Samuel 7.23, Who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making yourself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, became your God. What is redemption? What's the definition of redemption? Redemption is God's action of saving from sin and evil. The action of regaining a possession. In our case, redemption is the action of becoming complete through the work of Christ. It is a work of God that secures our deliverance from the bondage and condemnation of sin. Look at Colossians 1.13. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The redemption of God, that's a wonderful gift of his grace. So now we come to the time when God introduces the requirements for the Passover. The lamb had to meet the specific requirements of God. It was to be a male, less than one year old. It was to be selected on the 10th day, kept to the 14th day, and killed at twilight. The meat dish was to be roasted, one lamb per family. The historian Josephus tells us that the Passover tradition for a family was a group of people not fewer than 10 and not more than 20. And with each family, it was a call of each household if they were to share the lamb with their nearest neighbor or to have it solely for their family. And the lamb was to be perfect and unblemished, which is a picture of Christ. There needed to be shedding of blood to turn away the wrath of God. And then the important detail, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house, in which they eat. And then the people were to attend this Passover dinner with a specific attitude, with specific actions during this event. So look at verse 10. They were to burn all the remnants of the land, lamb, eat your fill, and then destroy the leftovers by fire. This may have been because they were going to leave that night. It also may have been to keep an pieces of that event from becoming an idol to them. Verse 11, they were to eat it with an expectation of victory. Eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Expect deliverance. Verse 12, there was a seriousness as Moses told them that they were going, there was going to be death that night. 
And it was the providence of God that preserved their lives. Participate in the Passover because it was a time of judgment. I am the Lord. Eat it remembering that it is death for the Egyptians. 13, verse 13. Eat it remembering that it is a sign for you because the blood of the lamb is your deliverance from the death of the firstborn. And also in verse 13, stay inside. On this night, there is a special requirement to stay inside and to not go outside the door of the house because on this night, there would be no safety except for behind the blood-stained door. The Lord himself passed over them without bringing judgment when he saw the blood on the doorposts. Now look at Exodus up to this event, the order of events leading up to this. So back in Exodus 2, 23, God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. But God, hearing them, did not deliver them from slavery. And then God sent Moses, chapter 3, 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people out of Egypt. But sending Moses didn't deliver them from slavery. God wanted to be their God. Look at chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. God wanted to be their God, but his desire did not deliver them from slavery. All the pieces were in place, but what was missing? The blood to pay the price for their redemption. On this night, the blood of the Lamb preserved them and brought them out as God's people. Several years later, there was a Passover meal, another one, that was very significant for us. Picking up in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to Jesus, Where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples sent and went to the city, and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessed it and broke it and gave to them, This is my body. And he took the cup, and we had given thanks, he gave to them, and they drank all of it. And he says, This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus paid the perfect price for our redemption with his blood. As the blood from the original Passover lamb freed the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians in a similar way, the blood from the death of Jesus applies to believers and frees us from slavery to sin and the penalty of our sin and redeems us into God's kingdom. We move now to the Passover remembered in verse 14 through 20. The Passover remembered. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, as you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a 
holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, at even you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at even. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leaven in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. This day shall be for you a memorial day. What happens on this night will be so significant, you will remember it and keep it as a feast forever. There are a few Passover items here we ought to clarify. First, the original Passover event. Then later came the Passover feast along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was a night for the event of the Passover, the 10th plague, which happened only one time with specific instructions for that one time. Then there was the Feast of Passover that was to happen every year and it had different instructions. The night of Passover when the people celebrated their Passover dinner that was in their homes. Then at midnight, God passed through. There was the Feast of Passover, and that is described for us in Deuteronomy chapter 16, which God initiated to remember that night of the 10th plague. And they had different instructions than the first night. So let's look at Deuteronomy 16, verse 5. I'll just point out one little detail here that I find interesting. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat the place the Lord your God shall choose, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. So the first Passover event was mandated as a family event that occurred within each family's home. The Feast of Passover had instructions that they were not to celebrate within any of their homes in any, any of their towns, which was opposite of that first night. But the place that the Lord would choose, which ended up being the courtyard of the tabernacle and later in the temple of Jerusalem, which is the place where the ultimate Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. After that first night of the Feast of Passover, then came the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Eating unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because they came out of the land of Egypt in haste. God wanted them to remember that day when they came out of Egypt. We're going to move now to the next section which is the Passover obeyed in verses 21 to 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop 
and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and in the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Moses wants to be clear, so he repeats the instructions of the first 20 verses here with a high-level summary. This chapter started with the instructions God gave to Moses. Now in verse 21, Moses calls all the elders of Israel and repeats what he's told and tells them God's instructions. The first nine plagues may have destroyed much of the land, animals, and prosperity of Egypt, but this last plague is going to destroy many of the lives of the Egyptians. Get ready because tonight you will leave slavery. What happens tonight will be observed forever. And when they heard about the judgment that God promised to bring upon Egypt, they bowed their heads and worshiped and they obeyed. And they have been watching as God brought some judgment upon Egypt. And now God is bringing her, the horrific judgment of death. And this is the point where we, along with the Israelites, can say, Except for the grace of God, we deserve what happened to those Egyptians that night. Did God owe it to these Israelites to give him these instructions to avoid the destruction from the Lord? Was God obligated to save them? No, God had promised to do it because of his own covenant, not because of the Israelites. It wasn't because the Israelites had done anything to deserve God's grace. And the same is true for us. We don't deserve God's grace. That night was a solemn night. It was a serious night. The Egyptians deserved the punishment that God brought upon them for their sin. And this isn't something that should cause us to rejoice. When the wicked were punished and destroyed by the Lord, we should realize that also deserves to be us. We are sinners deserving the same, but God has had mercy on us. Our response should be like that of the Israelites to give the Lord the worship he deserves. So significant was this event that we are told about it in Hebrews eleven twenty-eight. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So we move from the introduction of the Passover to the remembrance of the Passover to the Passover obeyed and we'll conclude with the Passover fulfilled in verses 29 to 32. Picking up in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. 
And go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The Lord passed through the land of Egypt that night. It wasn't an angel like at other times of battle in the history of Egypt. But it says the Lord himself passed through. From the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive to the firstborn of the livestock from the greatest to the least, from the rich to the poor. They all experienced the judgment of God. And if Israel had not obeyed God's instructions, they would have had the same. And God's righteousness is upheld by his judgment on sin. And the last statement of verse 30 is a terrifying statement. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. On a night like this, nobody was ready for the magnitude of this event. In our lives, when we have a time of loss, the rest of us compassionately gather around and we comfort each other. On that night, every house had the loss of life. When they went in, in one house, when they had loss, and they went to their friend's house for comfort, there was no comfort to be had because every house in Egypt had a dead person in it. What a terrible penalty for sin. Last Wednesday night at our Christmas dinner, Brad taught us about one name of God, of Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, which is also God for us in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? What happened when God was against the Egyptians? It's a terrifying thought to think about God being against a person. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. Lest we think the severity of this judgment was over the top, go back to chapter 1, verse 13. Pharaoh made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service. Verse 16. All the sons born in Egypt, all the sons born in Egypt to the Israelites were murdered. Look at chapter 5. Make bricks and do it with your own straw. And when they didn't do that, they were beaten. We must not forget these Israelites were slaves and they were treated as slaves. Their children were murdered, they were beaten, and they were slaves for many years. But in a similar way, all of us are born as slaves, as slaves to sin. We cannot depend upon our own ability because we have no ability to save ourselves. Just like these Israelites were slaves to Egypt and could not release themselves, so we cannot release ourselves from slavery to sin. This story is a picture of people trying to escape from sin by their own efforts and failing time after time. On that night, Israel was redeemed from their slavery. They left Egypt as free people, which is a picture of what God can do to us, do for us. Christ came to redeem people who are slaves to sin. Christ became the sacrifice for our sins. He became our Passover lamb. Instead of God being against us, what happens when God is for us? God graciously gives to us all things. No one can condemn us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. The same event that was redemption for the Israelites was destructive for the Egyptians. So it is for Christ. Christ can be our redemption, but for people who reject his gift of salvation, he will condemn them to their eternal judgment. 
And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. If we are cleansed from our sin, what are we to do? The Israelites left slavery that night and walked away as free people. When Christ's blood cleanses us from our sin, we walk away from sin and live as people free for Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We are slaves to the one we obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, says Romans 6.16. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, but have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, become slaves of righteousness. God did a spectacular work that Passover night as the Israelites walked out of Egypt as people freed from slavery through the blood of the Lamb. Great picture of the freedom from sin that is available through the blood of Christ. For those of us in Christ, we have been ransomed from our futile ways, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of the Passover and the grace you extended to the Israelites out of your own mercy, not because of anything they had done, but your graciousness and redemption. Thank you for the redemption you offer through Christ. May we cherish it. May we worship you. May we follow you. Thank you for what you have given to us through Christ. And we rejoice and worship in you. In Christ's name, amen.